are you all doing today? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Welcome, whether you're here with us in person or you are joining us online today. I'm Reverend Nicole Riley, lead and teaching pastor here, and we are really glad that you're with us. If you'd like to follow along with the sermon notes, you will find those on the church app. Now, one of my favorite memories from the first church that I served was around the diversity of the congregation. The congregation was ethnically very diverse, but it was also economically very diverse. So on any given Sunday, you'd have a lawyer sitting next to someone who was homeless. You'd have retired teachers and clerks and principals sitting next to morticians and office workers. You would see new immigrants to the country who came to worship in order to learn English and to find their way. We had a family who drove a Rolls Royce and people who lived in their camper full time. One week, a new woman showed up with her son. They were new to church. I don't think they had ever been in a church before. As I was talking to the mother, the little boy, who was probably about three or four, made a beeline down the center aisle over to the guitar that was lovingly laid in its stand, pushed it over, stood on it, climbed over the drums, and began hitting on them. This was five minutes before worship was to begin. The mother did nothing. It was like she didn't even notice what her child was up to. But other people jumped into action pretty quick. The musicians, ushers, bystanders came up and tried to help the little boy, tried to corral him and and get him someplace. We learned that day that the mother and her son were both living in their car, that they had fled a difficult relationship, the boy's father, and that she was looking for a new place to live. She was at the end of her rope, and she had nothing left to give. So that first Sunday... We did what we could to help. And then that next week, in our staff meeting, we spent the majority of the time talking about what we were going to do next, how we were going to help. As we sat around the table, it became clear to us that this was going to be one of those situations that stretched us as a staff. It would push us past where we were comfortable, because while we were very comfortable with diversity in the congregation, we kind of just had parents who mostly kept control of their children during worship. We did not have a lot of parents who checked out once they came into the building, and pretty much all the kids were fairly well-behaved, of course, except for my child. Over the weeks, over the months... The mother and the son continued to show up, and the boy continued to run down the aisle and make a beeline for the drums. And we continued to deal with it. We had to decide as a church, did we stand with this family, or did we just ignore them and hope they'd go away? Did we hold them to the same standards that other people seem to be following with their kids, or did we help them in a way that was new, 
that would resource this family? Did we follow the way of love? Or did we protect ourselves from the growing chaos that was taking over that worship service? Because here's the thing, when one person starts being chaotic, it gives other people who've been tapping it down an opportunity to also be chaotic. So if you are a teacher, you know how that works in a classroom. Works the same way in a church. So, so what happened? I will let you know at the end of the sermon. Today is the second Sunday in Lent, and Lent is a season where we prepare ourselves for Easter. We prepare ourselves for the resurrection. We look to our lives and say, how can I step forward in my faith? How can I grow in my faith? And our theme for this season of Lent is restored. For me, what this is all about is that during Lent, God takes the mess that is our lives and seeks to restore us once more into his image and likeness. We were all created in the image and likeness of God. This is what the scripture says to us in Genesis. But that image often gets cloudy, darkened by the behaviors and the things we do. Lent is a season when we walk once more to the cross with Jesus so that we might be restored and made new. Lent is a season where we focus on living in a new way. And today, in our second week of Lent, we're going to talk about restoring with whom we stand. Now, what I mean by that is, do we mostly keep to ourselves and our little group, or are we open to stand with people in the midst of struggle, in the midst of things not going well? Are we able to stand with people who aren't like us, who don't look like us or talk like us or have the same background as us or act like us? Our faith calls us past where we are often comfortable Uh, We are often comfortable with folks just like ourselves, but our faith calls us past that, and it invites us to stand with those in need and to stand with people who push us past our comfort zone. So we're going to start with a text today that talks about how it is that we, um, how it is that someone can take where they are, where they're standing, and move into a new place of standing more faithfully. This is Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man who was there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a tax, chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be, with, to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but in our scriptures, very seldom does it paint a picture of what people looked like. We don't know what color St. Paul's hair was. We don't know what robe Mary favored. We don't know how Moses styled his hair. But we do know that Zacchaeus was short. And he was so short, he couldn't see Jesus, and he had to climb up a tree. And he was so short, he was immortalized in a children's song. Do you know that song? If you don't know it, um, Erica can sing it for you later. She's, she's really into that song. That's one of her favorites. Last week, when we got together, we talked about a text where Jesus told the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Today, we are meeting a tax collector in real life. If you don't know about tax collectors in the Bible, one of the things to know is that tax collectors during Jesus' time were pretty much a hated group of people. They were hated because they were seen as traitors. They were seen as thieves. They were shunned by popular society. And this is because tax collectors were Jews who collected taxes on behalf of Rome. Rome was the invading power that had taken over this area, and Zacchaeus would collect taxes for them. Now, what was especially awful was not only was he collecting taxes for the invading power, but he was putting a little bit on top for himself. That's how he was becoming wealthy. So it's surprising that Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house today. Why is that? Why would Jesus go to the house of someone who is obviously a notorious sinner, a tax collector who's stealing from his own people? Well, why would Jesus do this? To get the full picture, we have to go back a chapter in Luke's gospel. Our text today comes from Luke 19, but in Luke 18, which is where we heard last week's text about the Pharisee and the tax collector, we also hear a story about a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus seeking eternal life, and he lists all the things he's done to be helpful, all the things he's done to make a difference. And Jesus says this to him. He says, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So, 
here you have this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, but at the end of the day, he will not follow him because he will not release this wealth he's accumulated. Now, Zacchaeus is also very wealthy, but his life takes a different turn. The text says it this way. It says, Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So, Zacchaeus is changing where he stands. He used to stand with the opposers, with the rulers, with the Romans. And now he is moving into this place where he's standing with his own people. His words are words that speak of justice, of honesty, of making things that were wrong right. He's moved into a right relationship with other people, one that seeks to make the best of things instead of taking advantage of others. Jesus responds to what Zacchaeus has to say when he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, meaning he's Jewish, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So here Jesus refers to himself As the son of man, this is a term he often uses for himself, and he talks about what restoration looks like. It is about coming to save those who are lost and to seek out those who need to be found. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was lost. He's been greedy. He has been dishonest. And here begins the start of the restoration of that image of God that is deep within Zacchaeus, that image that is now starting to shine brightly. The image of God is deep within all of us, and God seeks to restore that image in us this Lent so that the image of who God is might shine more brightly in our lives. And the thing about this image of God is that it takes all of us together to be God's image. It's not just you're God's image and I'm God's image. It's really all of us together are what make up the image of God. And it's important to say that because I think sometimes we think of salvation or restoration as something that's just between me and God when salvation is that, and it's also much bigger than that. Salvation is about how Jesus' death and resurrection seeks to set the world right with God. Calls us into a new way to live. And this new way to live calls us to be in relationships with one another that are relationships of love. How is it that Zacchaeus changed? Did he change because Jesus talked to him and and that showed him a new way to live? I, I think that's certainly part of it, but I think there was a lot more going on with Zacchaeus. We just don't know from the text. We do know that it probably was a lot more things because 
that text before about the rich young ruler, he also has an encounter with Jesus. But that does not change him. Zacchaeus is restored. And I think it's ultimately not only because of his connection to Jesus that day, but because he was willing to change. Think about it. We all have opportunities, opportunities every single day to stand around those who are needing justice, those who are needing compassion, those who are needing an opportunity for new life, to become more of who God calls us to be in community with others. But sometimes you and I are not willing. We're too busy with life. We forget about the needs of others. So Lent is a great season to restore that in us, to help us to become more willing to grow, more willing to move toward one another instead of away. For that work that God does to restore you and I is about restoring where we stand and the care we have for the community, the world. So let's make this a little more hands-on, a little more relevant. Some of it can be, I know, very um, theoretical, a lot of big ideas. And so as I was reflecting this week on this text and I was thinking about how God restores us to where we're standing with others, What I was thinking about was there's two ways that I see God right now seeking to restore us in community. And the first is that God calls us to widen our circles of connection. You know, we live in a time where people just kind of um, get mad at each other for all kinds of crazy stuff. Have you noticed that? Right? You know... There's a lot of things that we're easily offended by in today's world. Uh, I was talking to my husband about a mutual friend we have, and I said, did you see her post? He goes, no, I stopped following her. I couldn't take it anymore. We all have somebody like that, right? We are called, though, to look at our circle of friends and acquaintances and think, how can we widen the circle of connection? How can we be in relationship with people who don't think like us, who don't act like us, who don't look like us. God calls us to widen the circle of connection because really it is together that we are God's image. We need one another. Our faith calls us past what usually passes in the world as normal, which is we only hang out with people who are like us because people who are not like us make us feel afraid. We're called past that. We're called to be the kind of people who connect to one another. And when we do this, when we widen our circle of connection, like Jesus did with Zacchaeus, we see that the work of restoration is happening in our lives. And next, we are called to turn toward the world's needs. Did y'all watch the news this week? It was a tough week. There's a lot of suffering going on in Ukraine, around the world. 
And it's very difficult. And I know there are times when we see what's going on in the world and we just need to turn it off and to take a break for our own mental health. And I totally agree with that. And I totally support that. But don't, in general, turn from the world's needs. Don't turn from what's going on in the world. Turn toward it. Because as people of faith, you and I are called to pray for the world's needs. We're called to fast. We're called to give. We're called to serve and work for justice. You know, you may not know how to do that. I mean, I I struggle to know how to do that too. So during this season of Lent, we're taking Mondays to fast for peace in Ukraine. And this week was the first week I did it. I'm not really a fasting kind of a person. But I did it on Monday, and like halfway through the day, I texted my husband, I am hungry. (laughs) And he said, yes, that's what happens when you don't eat all day, right? I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time I was hungry, I just paused and prayed for peace in Ukraine, right? That's what hunger does. It reminds you, reminds you. And so if you want to join with me in that, that'd be great. I'd love to know if you're doing that. You can just um, uh, email me and let me know. But you may have a different way that you turn toward the world and its needs. Just do something so God might use you in the midst of it. As people of faith, we don't sit on the sidelines in the midst of crises. We care and we serve and we give. Okay. Sometimes I think when we look at all this stuff, it is a lot. And I think some of the people I've been most inspired by to learn in my own life of faith how to follow are not people who are necessarily believers. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine died. She um, had cancer. Uh, Her name was Linda. And she was somebody who had a, a lot of resources, a lot of power, a lot of opportunity, And she spent all of her time and energy helping the homeless, caring for the poor, going toward the need instead of away from it. In fact, the week before she died, there was a fundraiser for a cause she really cared about. And other friends got her there before it started and put her in her chair so that she could work the registration table and she was there early, so no one could see how sick she was. And she stayed till the very end. And then they put her in a wheelchair and took her back to her house. And within a week, she had passed away. I was inspired by her life. Because even though she would tell me that she was a committed non-believer, I look at her life and I see that while she professed to have no faith at all, that God was at work in her life. God was at work in her life, caring for some of the neediest people that were around her. God calls us to stand together in our differences, in our diversity, in our need, and in our abundance, in our life. And that isn't an easy word for us because it's not something we naturally lean into. 
but it is the work of restoration that God seeks to do in us. So, back to my opening illustration. What happened to that mother and son? Well, they continued to come to the church. And over the years, we learned how to care for them, how to get them back up on their feet, how to help resource them so that they might have a more stable life. I will always remember when the little boy was baptized. It was probably a year or so after they had arrived at the church. At that church, the baptismal was a little fountain, like one you might have in your garden, that sat at the corner of the chancel area. And when he came up with his mom to be baptized, he rushed toward the font and started throwing the water on himself. He was so eager. (laughs) Um, And his godfather that day, his godfather was the lead musician, the guitarist, whose instrument was climbed over in order to get to the drums. We live in a rich and diverse world, and we are called to be stewards of it, to appreciate it, to celebrate it, to learn from it. And so I invite you to live into it this week in a couple ways. The first is this. Look at your circle of connections and ask, how can it become wider? Maybe age, maybe ethnicity, maybe economics, maybe just different life experience, whatever it is. Look at your circle. Just notice and see how it could become wider this week. All that might mean is that you slow down enough to smile at someone you don't know or talk to somebody and take your time. And then next... How can you lean into the world's needs this week with prayer, fasting, giving, and working for justice? What would work for you? How do you turn toward the need in the world so that God might work through you for good? I thought we'd close with this prayer I found and changed up a little bit for us. I invite you to read with me. God, How easy it is for us to turn toward those we know and with whom we are comfortable. For the times we believe we are better than others, forgive us. For the times we put our ways on a pedestal to the neglect of others, forgive us. For the times we avert our gaze so we won't have to look at their condition, forgive us. For the times we wished they would all go away and live somewhere else, forgive us. For the times we feel no discomfort in judging others before we even know them, forgive us. For the ease with which we label people, them and other, forgive us. Show us your way of restoration so that we might walk in the light of Jesus and his cross. Amen. Let us take a moment for silent reflection, and then I'll draw us together for prayer.